Let's do this. Take out your Bibles and your message outlines. Today's message is called Do the Right Thing. Will you say that with me? Do the right thing. Tell the person next to you, do the right thing. Come on, man. Do the right thing. I want to look at this because I think that in our day and age, there's a lot of our culture, our society, our world that is, uh, they're not doing the right things, man. They're doing the wrong things. They're doing the shady things, the gray area things. And so as we start today, let's look at an important Bible verse in James chapter 417. Look at it with me when you're ready. Say ready. All right, we're going to read this out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Let's read it one more time. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Based on that verse, how many of you are like kings and queens of sinners? Raise your hand. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of us, man. We know that maybe we should do this, but we don't do it, right? It's a sin to know what to do, but then you don't do it. And so every day we face situations, all of us, all throughout the day when we have to make a choice. Am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? And sometimes not doing anything is still the wrong thing, right? And so all day long, we have these scenarios that pop up in our lives. And the problem is, is that Sometimes it's little things, but other times it's big things. And the more we cave into the little things, the easier it becomes to cave into the big things, right? And so God wants us to do the right thing. And we're going to have a little fun this morning. I want to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer yes by raising your hand. Okay, so here we go. How many of you have ever taken food you snuck food into the movie theater raise your hand oh my gosh look at that it's like 90 percent of you and you know that's so illegal like they act like you're gonna go to prison when you sneak how many of you snuck a whole meal into the movie theater you know it's like you got a whole mcdonald's you know meal in your purse you know yeah that's the wrong thing you guys know that's the wrong thing you're not supposed to be sneaking food uh, into the movie theater, although <sighs> Pastor Trav and his wife do as well. Just don't tell anybody. If we see you at the movies and you see my wife's purse, it looks a little full. We're a family of five. All right, how many of you, you, okay, here, here's another one. You've parked in a parking spot that you're actually not allowed to park in, like a handicap or an electronic car, right? Raise your hand. Let me see your hands. You guys know how messed up that is, right? Okay, now that one is illegal. That one's actually illegal. You cannot park in a handicapped parking spot if you don't have a handicap permit. And, I, and I, I'm, listen, this is one I don't do. I don't do this one. That's a no-no. That's where I draw the line. Because my grandfather, at the end of his life, he, was, uh, he lost his leg. His leg was amputated. And, and it just makes me feel like every time I see the devil's like, park here, park here. It's a handicap. Look how close it is. And he's trying to tempt you. But see, now I think, man, there's another grandpa out there that doesn't have a leg or a grandma that can barely walk. And, you know, there's a lot of people abusing that handicap parking spot. But let's look at some other ones. How many of you have ever driven in the HOV lane? When you're by yourself, raise your hand. Come on, raise them high. Don't lie. You're in church. If you lie in church, you fry in hell. Come on, raise them high. You've driven in the HOV lane. Keep them up. Don't put them down. 
Officer Andrew, do you see all these hands? Is there anybody you want to arrest? Officer Page and Officer Andrew. Keep your hands up. He might, he's going to arrest somebody. Where is he going? Where is he? Uh-oh. Of course, Pastor Andre. Somebody, he said, somebody videotape this. Of course, once again, two white officers arresting a black man in church. Man, come on. Hey, we'll, bail, we'll take an offering and bail you out in a minute, Pastor Andre. So I have another one. Which one of you puts an empty offering envelope in the offering every week? Somebody does it. I'm telling you, somebody does it. Like, you don't want people to know that you really don't give, but you act like you do. We get empty envelopes every week. Every week. I mean, that is really sad. But what I have noticed is that we live in a world where so many people are just fine with doing the wrong thing. Like, we've become so calloused to what the right and the wrong is, and we just become okay with doing the wrong thing. And that cannot be the norm for our life. That cannot be the standard of living for our life. We have a world that is caving into doing the wrong things, and the moral fabric of our society seems to be unraveling. We have corruption, we have stealing, we have cheating, we have lying all throughout our society. We see it in sports. We see it in politics, in our government, in our judicial system, in our schools, in our law enforcement, even at the highest levels. We see it in the media. I don't even know which news outlets to listen to these days because everybody has got some sort of angle. And sadly, this has also popped its head up in the church all throughout the world. Cheating, lying, doing the wrong thing. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this scandal with the 2017 Houston Astros baseball team, but it's one of the biggest cheating scandals in the history of Major League Baseball. It wasn't just one person. You know, like, we know that, like, there's been athletes all throughout history that have been caught cheating. But this wasn't one deal where it's just like a dude pumping steroids or another dude corking a bat. Like, this was a whole team involved. They were taking the center field video cameras footage and they were looking at the signals, the hand signals that the catcher was making to the pitcher. And then they would tell their dugout those hand signals and then one of the players or a coach would beat on a trash can to let his hitter know what pitch was coming. And they won the World Series in 2017. But this is nothing new. I mean, you got the devil's team, the New England Patriots. Back in 2007, they were using cameras to spy on the Jets' coaching signals from their sideline. Or how about deflate gate with Tom Brady, letting a little air out of them football so he had an edge. Years ago, NBA officials, they got busted for not making calls or making calls to try to get a certain point spread to win money in Vegas. In 2011, the St. Louis Cardinals, they got busted for hacking into the Houston Astros database. By the way, the dude's in prison who did it. 
We've got crooked athletes. They break records. They break Olympic records. They get Olympic medals only to later find out that they were using performance enhancing drugs. We got actors and actresses in a college admission scandal and basically paying their way for their kids to go to colleges that they don't qualify for. I mean, cheating and lying is everywhere. As a dad who raises kids in club basketball, I've seen it in club basketball. When my son was in seventh grade, I'm pretty sure the dude was 36 years old playing against us. He had a full beard, driver's license, driving his homies to the gym. I mean, just so you can win a game, right? It's everywhere, cheating, lying. I mean, what in the heck is going on? It's simple. We have become a world that is okay with doing the wrong thing. We've become a world that is okay with living in the gray areas. Maybe more than any other time in history, God needs a people to stand up and do the right thing. I want you to read in Proverbs with me, chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, people with integrity walk, what? Safely. But those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. It's a great verse. He's saying, look, if you take that crooked path, you take that crooked route, It might be okay for now, but one day it's going to be exposed. The truth will come to light. But people with integrity, they walk safely. They got nothing to worry about. They got nothing to hide. They don't have any fears, no anxiety. They're good to go. And so I want us to be a church family that lives our life according to several Proverbs today. Another one is in Proverbs 15.3. Look what it says. He says, the Lord sees what happens everywhere. He is watching whether we do good or evil. So God sees everything. We know this. He sees every action. He sees every reaction. He sees every thought. The thoughts that we hide from the people around us, God sees them. The thoughts that you don't want people to know about, God sees them. Every thought, every attitude, every motive. And so I also love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.21. He says, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Look, we're going to do everything we can. Everything we can. It's going to be painful. Like, we're going to take pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, both. We're going to do the right thing. So if you have your outlines out and ready, you have them turned on, I want to give you the four pillars of doing the right thing today. The four pillars. Pillar number one in doing the right thing is to stand up for the truth. Stand up for the truth. Yeah, I got to speak the truth, tell the truth, be honest. But it's even bigger than that. It's standing up for the truth. A lot of people, they look the other way when it comes to an opportunity to stand up for the truth. So I gotta be truthful about my own actions, but I also need to be truthful about other people's actions. You know, there are some people that they may not lie about their own lives, but they seem to lie about everybody else's, right? There's people that try to make other people look bad so that they can look good. So doing the right thing means at its foundational level, that I am a person of integrity. I'm a person of honesty. 
This is what the Bible teaches us, that integrity, a life of honesty, it starts with a reverence for God. It starts with a fear of God. It starts with the understanding that God, I revere you, I fear you, I'm in awe of you, I know you're watching my every thought, my every attitude, and therefore, God, I want to live my life to please you. Look what Proverbs 14, 2 says. He says, be honest, and you will show that you have reverence for the Lord. Be dishonest, and you will show that you do not. So, God, I want to honor you. I want to please you. God, I revere you, not just on Sundays, but all throughout my days. I want to live my life to please God. That's the foundation of integrity. I don't know if you ever heard this story. It's in the book of Acts chapter 5. And the book of Acts was the birth of the early church. So Jesus had died. He rose again. He went around and he appeared. The Bible says over 500 people. And then he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the early church. The first Christian church after Jesus left the earth. And in Acts chapter 5, there's a story about a husband and wife. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. It's an interesting story because the Bible says that Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and they went to bring the money to their church, but the Bible says they held part of it back. I'm going to just read you a couple of these verses. They're not in your outlines, but it's in Acts chapter 5. It says this. That Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Then in verse 4, he says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've lied not just to human beings, but to God. And then the Bible says, after Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now, it's a crazy story, right? It's like, yo, Ananias had a piece of property. It was his own property. He could do whatever he wanted to do with that money. He could do whatever he wanted. But he committed to his church, and he said, when we sell this, my wife and I are going to give the church all this money. They committed to giving it. So then... They go to give the church money. They still gave the church money. They just didn't give the church everything they committed to giving. And God apparently told Peter, because Peter goes, yo, Ananias, my bro, is this everything? (laughs) Yeah, it's everything. How have you allowed Satan to so fill your heart? You know, that's a different level, man. Lying is one thing, but you lied to the church and to God. How did you allow that? And boom, he falls down dead. Well, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, doesn't even know he's dead yet. She walks into church and Peter says, Sapphira, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias paid and got for the land? And she says, yes, that's the price we got for the land. And Peter says to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? And he says, listen. Would this freak you out? He says, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, 
she fell down and died. Isn't this a great story? I, I love this story. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that we've been in a building campaign and we're going to now implement this same policy at Impact Church. So those of you that committed to giving to the building fund and have not fulfilled your commitment, hey, there's going to be a lot of dead people next week at church. No, not really. What I'm saying is that integrity and honesty, it starts, it starts with living my life for God. It starts that my accountability is to God. And then because of that, everybody else reaps the benefit. Stand up for the truth. Number two, if you're going to do the right thing, don't speak poorly of others. Don't speak ever, ever, no matter what. No matter how bad they spoke about you or to you or what they've done to you, I never speak poorly of others. I heard about a man and his wife, they went on vacation to Jerusalem and she just nagged him all the time and nagged him and just verbally assaulted him and verbally has stabbed him over and over. And then she would call her mama and her sister and just go off gossiping about her husband to her mama and her sister. She was just naughty with her mouth, boy. Could not get a grip. They went on vacation to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land, and she got sick and died. And when she was finally pronounced dead, the undertaker came along and he was so sorry. He said, I'm so sorry this happened on your vacation. He said, look, there's two options. We can ship her back to the U.S. for 10,000 bucks. Or we can have a nice burial right here in the Holy Land for $250. Without hesitation, the man says, you know what? Ship her home. The undertaker says, sir, are you sure? We can have a great burial right here in the Holy Land for $250. And the husband said, look, man, many years ago, a man lived here in the Holy Land and he died. And three days later, he rose again. And I just can't take that chance. How do you know the worst thing in the world is to have somebody always speaking negatively to you or about you? And it's so tempting to say, man, I'm going to do the same thing. But God wants us to never speak poorly of others. Never means never. There's not really any occasions where God wants us to speak bad about other people. Now, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is our mouth. The ability to communicate. The gift of communication, right? Whether that's verbally, whether that's through text messaging, whether that's through emails or whatever, phone call. It is a gift to communicate. But with that gift comes great responsibility. God wants us to learn to manage our mouths responsibly. That we use them for his glory. This is one of the most spiritual, difficult things. Spiritual disciplines for us to learn is to use our mouths for good and not for bad, right? The Bible says that our words have the power of what? Life and death, right? We can kill people with it. We can speak life to people with it. We can build people up. We can tear people down. We can gossip. We can lie. We can slander. We can really hurt people with our 
words. And so our mouths are extremely powerful, more powerful than any weapon, physical weapon in this world. Because with our mouths, we can destroy people. We can ruin reputations. We can ruin people's lives. We can ruin marriages. Our mouths are powerful. And so I want us to look at these next three Proverbs together and what Solomon says about our mouths. Okay, Proverbs 25, 18 says, telling lies about somebody is as harmful as hitting him with an ax or wounding him with a sword or shooting him with a sharp arrow. In Proverbs 13, 17, he says, unreliable messengers cause trouble, but those who can be trusted bring peace. 16, 28 says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife and gossip separates the best of friends. You know, there's a lot of troublemakers. Look at that, that first verse. It says, unreliable messengers cause trouble. And then the second verse is, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. There's a lot of troublemakers out there. People just trying to like stir things up, right? They tell lies, they spread gossip, they plant seeds of strife or disunity. People uh, even writing bad reviews on the internet. You know, one thing I haven't done, at least not yet, that I, I just worry about doing is ever writing a bad review about somebody else's business. You say, man, but they were awful. Maybe they were, but that's somebody's lifeline. Like they're depending, they're trying to build a business or a company or whatever. We give bad reviews. I mean, reviews about businesses, about churches, about whatever it is. And so what's the balance? It's like, yeah, we want to be honest, but we want to be honest without hurting people. So we want to be people of integrity, learning how to communicate in ways that build people up and not tear them down. There's also a lot of fake friends out there. Does anybody have any of those fake friends? Like friends that they seem like you're friends and they, they talk really nice to you, but then they go out and they speak bad about you. Those are fake friends. Like they're putting on a front and putting on a show and they're really not for you, they're against you. And so the Bible has so much to say about this, but one thing I want to look at is just this idea of gossip. Okay, what is gossip? Because a lot of people misunderstand gossip and what gossip actually is. Gossip is talking about any situation with somebody who's not a part of the problem and they're not a part of the solution. That's gossip, right? That I talk to you about him and you have nothing to do with him. You can't fix this problem. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. Gossip, the Bible says, is a sin. And it's just as much a sin as murder or adultery. Okay, look, as humans, like, we humanize sin. You know, we're like, murder, that's a bad one. But gossip, that's not so bad, right? No, God doesn't humanize sin. In God's eyes, sin is sin. Gossip is the same as murder. Murder is the same as adultery. Adultery is the same as cheating. It's the same as lying. It's the same as putting other gods before God. Something that's more important, you put it before God. And so sin is sin. And gossip is one of those sins. And so here's a question to ask yourself when it comes to gossip. 
And the next time you feel like you want to talk to somebody about somebody else. And some people say, well, it's not gossip, it's the truth. It doesn't matter if it's the truth. It doesn't matter if it's truth or a lie. I mean, it's just gossip is gossip. So the question to ask is, what is my motive? What's my motive? Because if we're honest, oftentimes our motive is to make ourselves feel better at somebody else's expense. Right? We talk about their problems, their flaws, how screwed up they are so that it makes us feel better. But it's wrong, and the Bible says it's sin. Gossip destroys people's lives. Slander, it destroys people's lives. It hurts people. Don't do it. In Proverbs 12, 23, another Proverbs, he says, Sensible people keep quiet about what they know, but stupid people, (laughs) I love that, advertise their ignorance. Go ahead and circle stupid people. (laughs) Look at somebody right now and tell them, don't be stupid. Come on, tell them, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You know what I've learned about gossipers? I don't know if you've learned these same things about gossipers, but gossipers never think they're gossipers. Have you figured that out? Like, even if you said, don't gossip, they say, I'm not gossiping. Like, yo, you were just gossiping. I'm not gossipers don't know or don't admit that they're gossipers. They rationalize to themselves that there's some good reason in their mind to tell this story to somebody else. Right? It's like prayer gossipers. It exists in the church too. Right? I'm not gossiping. I'm just telling them to pray for her. (laughs) You call your home and you're like, oh, you will never believe what happened. I'm just telling you because I want you to pray. (laughs) You are not saying that because you want them to pray. Now it's like double sin. Now you're gossiping and you're hiding behind prayer, which isn't true anyway. Right? And so gossipers, they don't want to admit they're gossipers. It's like the alcoholic that says, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, you are an alcoholic. You put freaking beer in your bowl of cereal. You're an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, you're. Hey, by the way, this last January, I made a statement in church and I said, look, some of you need to face the fact that you are an alcoholic. And you need to face the fact because you can be set free. And I said, here's how you know if you're an alcoholic or not. Spend the next 30 days being sober. Don't drink. Don't drink. If you can do it, you're probably okay. But if you can't do it, you're definitely an alcoholic. And if you're an alcoholic, that just means you got a vice that's got control of your life, but it's something that God can set free. And you know, just this last week, I have had two people, both Uh, go to our church. I got an email from one and then another gentleman just told me in the lobby today, two different people who said, Pastor Travis, I heard is the same message they heard and I heard about them both this week and they both said, we are now 30 days. Another guy said, I'm 38 days sober. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking about. He said, I've lost weight. My skin has changed. It's, it's, it looks healthier. He said, I feel clearer in my mind. I mean, look, it's the same, though, with gossipers. Like, we just don't like to admit it. Here's the other thing I learned about gossipers is that gossipers find other gossipers. Because if they talk to you and you're not a gossiper, they're going to move on. You know what I'm saying? Gossipers are oftentimes 
just jealous of the person they're gossiping about, or gossipers are oftentimes hurt by the people they're gossiping about. And so a gossip is a gossip because they're hurting. And hurt people tend to hurt people. Broken people want to try to break other people because they think that it brings some sort of healing to their own life by infecting somebody else's life. That is the wrong thing to do. Watch your mouth. Use your mouth to speak positively of others and build others up. Number three, if you're going to do the right thing, well, don't ever try to get even. Don't ever try to get even. And I mean in simple things, we all do this. You're having an argument and you got to tell them that they're wrong because you know you're right, right? How many of you have ever been in an argument and you thought you were wrong? I mean, that's kind of dumb. You know, you're like, I just want my, hey, I'm wrong and I'm going to tell you why I'm wrong. No, he never does that. You're like, I'm right and here's why. And they're like, no, I'm right and here's why. And it could be about something stupid. That cloud looks round. No, it doesn't. It's oval. It's round. It's oval. It's round. It's oval. You know, it's like, how prideful are we as humans that we have to try to like set the record straight? God doesn't care if we're right. He cares if we're righteous. Sometimes we just got to let some things go, but it's hard to do right when you feel like you've been done wrong, isn't it? It is. It's hard to do right when you've been done wrong. Let's look at these next three scriptures together. Romans, 1 Peter, and Proverbs. He says, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. In 1 Peter, he says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with what? A blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So look, when somebody does you wrong, and instead I do them right, God says we have a blessing coming to us. When I do you right, even though you've done me wrong, God is going to bless your life for it. It's just a matter of time. Then he says in Proverbs, don't take it on yourself to repay a wrong. Trust in the Lord and he will make it right. He will make it right. You don't have to try to take revenge or get even or settle the score or even be right. God says, let me do that. I will take care of it. I will deal with it. Let me handle it. Listen, God will right every wrong. He is the judge and the final judge. He is the judge and the jury. God will settle the score with everybody. So when somebody does you wrong, do them right. No matter how wrong they are. Do them right. Never stoop to the level of the devil. Be better than that. Be bigger than that. Take the high road. In Exodus 14, 14, the Bible says this, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Let God do it. How do you know that God can settle the score far better than you ever could? If you try to get even and you get involved, what you've done is you've taken God out of the picture. So now God can't do what he can do because you took it upon yourself. But if you just back up and say, God, 
I'm out. You fight my battles for me. I don't need to fight. I don't need to take revenge. I don't need to do anything, God. I trust you to handle the situation. God will handle the situation. There's a great story about Moses, and it's in Numbers 12. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but it is so good. It's, it's so good. So Moses, he is uh, this man who marries an Ethiopian woman. Okay. Now, Moses, he was from where? Great, bunch of theologians in church. So, Moses set the people of Israel free from where? Egypt. I knew you guys knew it. I just had to say it differently. So, he's in Egypt. Egypt is a part of what continent? Africa. This this is the smart section. I'm coming to you. So, Egypt is a part of Africa, and Ethiopia is a part of? Africa, East Africa. Okay, so Moses, who's not from Ethiopia, marries an Ethiopian woman. Okay, and his sister Miriam is hot about it. She is not happy. She goes on griping about him, gossiping about him, talking behind his back. Can you believe my brother? He married a black woman from Ethiopia. I cannot believe it. But the Bible says Moses didn't even fight that battle. It says he was quiet and it says he was humble. That's it. He was quiet and he was humble. He didn't fight that battle. He let the Lord deal with it. And guess how God dealt with it? God steps in and goes, Miriam, hey, I want to chat with you, Miriam. You got a problem with Moses marrying a lady from a different nation? You got a problem with her nationality and her skin color? And God goes, boom, and gave her leprosy, a skin-eating disease. How many think that would be cool if he still did that today? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you were, tr- if you were a racist, we would know. Like, that brother's a racist. He got leprosy. His skin is eating itself. Don't act like you ain't a racist. You racist. Leprosy. Bible says she became a leper and her skin turned white as snow. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what God does. Moses could have been like, yeah, well, I married. Who cares who I married? He just said, man, I'm quiet. I'm going to stay out of him, stay humble. God gets involved. Boom. Leprosy. And then Moses is such a man of God, he then goes to God and he says, God, don't leave her like that. Don't leave her. He prays for the very woman that's gossiping and slandering and bad-mouthing him. And this leads us to point number four, which is, if you're going to do the right thing, I need to pray for those who do me wrong. Pray for them. Now I'm taking it a step further. You did me wrong and I'm going to pray for you. So when you pray for somebody that has done you wrong, it should sound something like this. God, you see what they did to me. And I pray that the wrath of God would come on their life. All the curses of hell. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what you should pray. But that's what I'd be tempted to pray. How about you? No, God says, no, pray for them. Pray a blessing upon their life. In Romans 12, he says, ask God to bless those who persecute you. Yes, ask them to bless, not curse. So the next time someone flips you off on the 101, you could just be like, God bless you. I'm praying for you. 
right? Wouldn't it be great? You could change the whole culture. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Well, that's easy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. But then he says, you will have a great reward. So there it is again. When I've been done wrong, but I do them right, I have a blessing coming. I have a reward coming. Jesus says, you got some haters? Great. So do I. I was crucified by some haters. Jesus is on the cross being nailed to the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man. Not only does he tell us what to do, he showed us what to do. And in Romans 12, I want to read you the rest of these scriptures because it's a great passage. In 17 through 21, he says, never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Underline that part. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. How do we conquer evil by doing good? We, we take the high road. That's one way we take the high road. I'm always going to take the high road. The high road is the hard road, but I'm going to take the high road. Another way that we conquer evil by doing good is to pray for those who do you wrong. I legitimately, genuinely, sincerely pray for them. God, I pray for God's blessing on their life. God, I pray that you would bless their lives. Another way is to be a person of forgiveness, that I forgive, right? That's how I conquer evil with good. I forgive. Somebody did me wrong, but you know what? I forget them. Life is too short to hang on to a bunch of crap, you know? I forgive you. You did me wrong, but I, I, I forgive you. And listen, you say, man, I could never forgive that person. I couldn't. I could. Pastor Travis, if you only knew how they treated me. I could never forgive them. Why would I ever forgive them? Let me just give you two simple reasons why you need to forgive them. Number one reason is because you need forgiveness too. You're going to need it from people and you're going to need it from God. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. And if we don't offer it, the Bible says we won't get it. So if you want God's forgiveness, you have to extend it to other people. And the second reason is if you don't, Forgive, unforgiveness leads to a life of bitterness. And bitterness is a poison to our soul that will kill the happiness in our life and it will steal the health in your life. Bitterness is poison. It steals and it kills your health and your joy. Look what Ecclesiastes says. This is Solomon again, same guy who wrote Proverbs. He said, it's foolish to hold a grudge. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. See, the same people that don't want to forgive people, the same people that can't let something go, 
are the same people that tend to become resentful and bitter because I can't let it go. So because you can't let it go, there's this thing that's going to swell inside of you. It's like a snowball. It's going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you will end up being a bitter person in your life. And you know when you're bitter, it bleeds out of you, and everybody can see that you're bitter. Have you ever been around somebody bitter? You know within the first two minutes of their conversation. They're bitter, man. Wow. Where does bitterness come from? Hurt. I've been hurt. Was it right? No, it was wrong. What, I, what was done to me was wrong. But the only way that you can have freedom in your own life is to forgive them like Jesus forgave you. Can you imagine if you stood before Jesus Christ one day when you moved from this life into the next? And before you could enter heaven, Jesus says, well, let me ask you about these things that you did. And he said, I know, but I, I asked for forgiveness, God, I'm so sorry. He said, yeah, but I just can't forgive you. I can't let it go. I just can't. I just can't believe you would do that. I just can't. No, he would never do that. He says, not only do I wash it away, the Bible says that he wipes the slate clean, but that's why he died on the cross for our sins, is to pay the price for every one of our sins. So God wants us to be people of forgiveness. God wants us to be people who pray sincerely for those who have done us wrong. There's a very important scripture, a chapter in the Bible in Ephesians 6. And the whole chapter is about putting on the armor of God. Okay, there's armor, body armor that we put on, spiritual armor. He says, in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, here's why you need your armor on. He says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. Do you see that? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavens. Okay, what does that mean? What the heck does that mean? Okay, here's what it means. It means, let's pretend my glasses right now, let's pretend they're like spiritual goggles. Wouldn't that be cool if you had spiritual goggles and you could put them on? and you could see into the spirit realm. And if you could, in the spirit realm, you would see angels and demons fighting for your life. There is right now actively a war in the spirit world going on for your life. You say, yeah, but I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but if he can make your life a living hell while you're on earth, he will. If he can bind you, with drugs, with addiction, if he can bind you with depression, if he can bind you with the mentality of defeat, if he can bind you in your happiness, he's going to. And so there's this battle going on for your health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your relationships. And so what he's saying is our battle is not against flesh and blood. You know, sometimes you're like, that person drives me crazy. And you think, like, it's my spouse. Oh, my gosh, what is their problem? You think it's a coworker. You think it's a family member. God's saying, it's not a person. It's not. The issue is not the person. The person is not the problem. The problem is that there is a spiritual battle going on for your peace, for your joy, for your happiness, and for your holiness. And so he tells us to put on the armor of God. 